This is Mental Work, the podcast unpacking the challenges faced by early career psychologists. And I'm your host, Dr. Brunwyn Milkins. Hey, mental workers, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking about all things managing the supervisory relationship. This episode was prompted by receiving a few emails from listeners about various situations to do with supervision. And I'm very pleased to have friend of the podcast back with us. Her name is Dr. Catherine Hart. She's the director of Sakura Psychology, and she is also a board-approved supervisor. Hi, Catherine. Hi, how are you? Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming back on. I just love it. People are going to get sick of me. I'm here all the time. No, it'll be fantastic. Catherine has appeared on episodes before when we've talked about contracting, what it is, what it isn't. You can go back and listen to those. But today she is going to walk us through supervision and what a dicey topic it is. I asked Catherine off air just to describe to us very briefly how her experiences have been with supervision. Catherine, tell us how it's been for you. (laughs) Can I use the same word? Yeah. (laughs) It's been a shit show. And I think you know, it's that sort of healer, first heal thyself. It's uh, it's our own experiences usually of stuff not going very well. I think that we then want to improve upon when we're in our own private practice, our own practice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I had two in particular um, difficult supervision experiences. The first was when I was a trainee in the UK. And that, again, you know, that dynamic of having somebody assessing you and, um, that, that, that imbalance made it very difficult. And I know you've, you've received a question about, you know, if you think your supervisors maybe become a little bit, um, defended, I, I certainly felt that that was the case. Um, I was a brand new, I was training, but I'd worked as a, over there, it's an assistant psychologist, kind of, you know, a trainee psychologist for a couple of years. And I'd actually published a book in the field that I was working in. So it was a learning disability, um, placement and my supervisor was brand new out of uni first person she'd supervised and I think upon reflection there was a bit of that going on for them that they struggled that I'd worked I'd worked in that field for many many years and I'd published this book and then I think it it was a little bit tough for them to sort of be supervising me as their first first supervisee so that was that was not um, a great experience. And I certainly felt like the university, probably because they struggled for placements, didn't really want to rock the boat either. And I've certainly spoken to supervisees over here who felt very similarly that the unis, because they don't get enough supervisors or placements, don't really want to stand up for them. And that can be, of course, a, an added issue. Um, and then the other issue I faced over here was that my line manager was also my supervisor. And I didn't, well, I had an external supervisor, but they insisted that that was what I needed to do as part of the role. Now I know, I know more now that that's not the case. Um, but at the time I felt very much, um, you know, that, that I had no option. So certainly learned from those experiences about what I don't want to do in my supervising or being a supervisee still. Wow, it's amazing that your experiences pretty much exactly echo the emails that I've gotten from listeners, as you said. So in this episode, we're going to go through probably three to five situations that I've received from listeners. And they do touch on those things that you've experienced, Catherine. I'm sorry that you experienced that as well. It's so awful, isn't it? It's it's really horrible. And I think especially when you, you're going through you know, a training or a placement and you feel such pressure to pass the placement, you feel such power being held over you at times. It can be it can be so horrible, um, really yuck experiences, unfortunately. We'll talk about this, but training psychologists are particularly vulnerable because of that power imbalance. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's an there's an um, there's an article, a book now. It's it's really really old, but it was it was something like nineteen I don't know seventy three or something. They talk about um, when that supervisory relationship is is going wrong they 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 call it something like a crucible for discord they wow. say you know it's it's really a place where lots of the stuff can go wrong but they also touch upon something that i think is really important in that if you can manage that 
um, power imbalance and manage that conflict in a really healthy way, then that's going to be a source of positive learning and development for you. And it's going to help you to have that healthy transference in your clinical work with your patients as well. I mean, conversely, if you're going through a really horrible time in supervision and it's not handed skillfully, of course, that can get passed on to the therapeutic relationship with parallel processing with your clients. So it works both ways. But if you can manage conflict effectively in that relationship, it's it's a really great learning tool. And of course, it's going to help you in your therapy with clients in understanding how to manage conflict as well. I love that because you provided a hopefulness that yes, it can be resolved potentially, and then that can be really helpful. But I also really like that you acknowledged the downstream effect of harmful supervision, which I also feel like doesn't get talked about enough. And I will be doing Mm -hmm. an episode on it because I found some research articles about it. But it is that parallel process. So just to unpack that, it's that you could have a bad supervision experience and then you could reenact those supervision experiences potentially with your clients. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is really important for training psychologists or early career psychologists to get a handle on supervision because it can be a really powerful tool that can help our professional development and competence, but it can also be very harmful. Um, And just to lay out my perspective on this. I've had also very bad supervision. So it was interesting hearing you, Catherine, say that your first supervisor was also, you were her first supervisee. I was in that situation and reflecting back on it, I was like, oh, they did not handle that well, me being their first supervisee. And I had really horrible supervisory experience, which did impact me actually for a few years. And now thankfully I've got excellent supervision and that has really helped me in my clinical work, but also in my comp as a practitioner. Um, So hopefully we can speak to some of those experiences and help the listeners out with managing these really tricky areas. Yeah. And again, I'm sorry that you've experienced that as well. And and it's not, it's not all bad. You know, I feel feel worried now that your listeners think that all supervision is terrible. It's an inevitable thing. Yeah. Yeah, It doesn't have to be inevitable. I've met people who have, who have had really good supervision just from the outset. I think it's partly that when you are a new uh, early career mental health professional as well, you don't really know what it is or what it's supposed to be like. Um, And I know I was always very worried, I guess, about how how much does this look like therapy versus supervision and what's what and how open do I have to be? And if I'm too open, are they going to start thinking that I'm incompetent and shouldn't be practicing? But if I'm too closed, they're going to say that I'm you know, defended and and not and not open to to feedback. So I felt like it was a real minefield as an early career psych, and I guess a lot of people would feel the same way. Of I don't really know what it is and what it's supposed to look like, and and that can be a bit um, scary. And I think that can get um, preyed upon a bit by by supervisors who can become a bit bullying in that in that role. Yeah, let's talk to that. Because first, I do want to set up the scene before we go into these difficult situations. But what is supervision? Well, I had a look through the literature actually about um, trying to find a definition, and there's not there's not a clear standard definition. But ultimately, all of the um, literature that talks about supervision says it's basically a process of professional learning and development that is enabling you to reflect on and develop your own knowledge, skills, and competence through this regular support with another professional. It's supposed to serve two broad functions. So there's supposed to be a development function, which is kind of all the things like mentoring, support, guidance, teaching that you'd expect. But then, of course, there's an assessment function as well, which is the appraisal, evaluation, feedback, and any kind of gatekeeping that might occur, which, of course, is more um evident when you're going through training and you're going through a specific training program of course but it's that it's the potential for those two requirements to become in conflict that i think is what um often crops up for people in supervision because it's that it's that conflict between the development functions and the assessment functions that can sometimes clash a little bit but your supervision should have both of those elements to it and it really should be a place where you feel able to come and talk about anything any areas where you feel less competent or any difficulties that you think are arising in your practice 
any ethical dilemmas that you're facing, um, and of course, any strong counter-transference reactions. And so we need to feel comfortable enough, safe enough to come and speak about those things, which can be really um, make us quite exposed and quite vulnerable if that's not a safe place. So it needs to be a place that feels okay to talk about all of those things. I think you're right that those two things, assessment plus development, can come into conflict because if we're supposed to be in a safe enough space to open up about what's happening. Psychotherapy does involve those countertransference reactions. You might be tearful in supervision, but then you might be scared that your supervisor is going to assess you as they can't handle this or they're not emotionally competent enough to be able to sustain this work. Whereas we're developing, so it can come up and create a lot of these difficulties. Absolutely. It's, it's funny you say that because I'm, I've always been a very emotional person. <laughs> I, I cry at the drop of a hat. Yeah. I don't cry in therapy, but I certainly, it was compounded because I felt very unsafe in supervision. So I'd often be very emotional and I would be easy to tear up. And then of course that gets criticized and then I feel more emotional and feel more afraid that I'm being um, criticized or, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get um, kicked out or failed or whatever. So that was just a, that was just a compounding issue for me, certainly, because it didn't feel safe. No, what an awful cycle. It's like you're trying to come into this space and then you're afraid of being criticized. Like I couldn't imagine what, what, like what a head fuck that would be. Oh, horrible. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's sort of this question, I think often people people uh, are unsure about is 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 it therapy or where's yeah. that boundary between therapy and supervision and I guess I think of it as kind of a little bit like therapy because I think you've got to have some of those components of you know a non-judgmental attitude um a safe space rapport um being able to discuss maybe your own schemas your own beliefs that come into play in in therapy um again I've had a supervisor who once said to me Work is work and home is home and I don't want to know about oh, the home wow. stuff. That's your stuff to deal with and that doesn't come into the therapy round. I'm like, no, I don't think that's right. Mm. I think it, how can it not? But I guess it's the difference between acknowledging, say, some schemas that get activated for you versus being maybe very overwhelmed or knowing that there's stuff that you've actually got to go and work on maybe in therapy that can't get worked through in supervision. So it needs to be safe and contained and non-judgmental like therapy, but I think not um, not discussing your, you know, inner workings of your your schemas and all of that stuff. That's that's separate for therapy. And and should a good supervisor be able to let you know when you're going into that territory? So they should be like, okay, notice we're discussing the schemas a lot. And I think there might be some stuff here to unpack further in therapy. We can certainly discuss how they impact you and your clients, but we it'd be best if you discuss in depth with the therapist this. Like, should a good supervisor be able to do that? Perfectly said. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they should be able. And, and you know, therapy. So again, in the training in the UK, um, you had to be doing therapy alongside your training. And I, I don't think that that's at all a bad thing. No. Um, I, I, I don't really know how people manage to be therapists without being in therapy, to be honest. Yeah. But, um, you know, um, yeah, I think you're saying to somebody, hey, you need therapy is not... <laughs> Is not meant as a criticism. It's meant as a, a, a as good feedback to them to be able to go and work on their own stuff because it's going to help them in therapy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess um, a vulnerable trainee might take that as a criticism, but we need to reframe that as, no, we're saying that this would be helpful for you. We want to help your professional competence. Mm, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. That was really helpful. I'm so glad that you brought those definitions of what supervision is into here because what I'm hearing in summary is that it does involve a professional development element. So it's helping you with those skills, those competencies, but it also does involve a personal development element in the sense that when you see clients, it might trigger some of your own schemas or counter-transference reactions. Is that right? Absolutely. And that's why it needs to be a safe space so that you can say, hey, you know what, this is probably my stuff yeah. and and you can just generally touch upon what that might be for you and why that's being activated without necessarily going into a whole you know therapy session but yeah. you need to feel safe enough to at least touch upon that yeah could you i don't know if you know the answer to this question but it's like that i've been curious about is supervision confidential supervision's confidential as and similarly to um therapy unless there are certain 
certain issues that are sort of you know a reason to breach that. So if there if there are competency issues that you're concerned about, um, or if I mean it's slightly different when you've got somebody who's qualified versus somebody who's going through training. Obviously, if you're going through training, you, there are a few more reporting requirements to um, the university and whatnot. But it's still the content of supervision is still confidential, and as a supervisor, you are you're required to keep notes on those on those sessions. So those notes need to be kept confidentially as well. Mm. Um, but unless there's a reason to breach that, you know, you're worried about somebody's competency to practice, then yes, it's confidential. Okay. That is reassuring to know because I think that confidentiality does uh, provide the safe space that we were talking about before. That is a key element of it. So for example, mm. let's say that I'm seeing a client and they've experienced a traumatic incident and it reminds me of a traumatic incident that I've had in the past. And I bring that up with my supervisor. I would hope that my supervisor wouldn't then disclose that a traumatic incident that I've experienced, even if I am a trainee to the university, say, um, they might say counter-transference occurred, but I wouldn't want them to disclose the precise details of that. So could I be assured that that would be kept confidential? Well, yeah, absolutely. That yeah, it sounds like a really um, fear-inducing thought to have, isn't it? Yeah. With all that assessment going on as well. Yeah, it does help create that safe space knowing that. And I mean, the reason why I have that question is because I've had so much supervision and no supervisor has ever discussed that with me, that things might be confidential in here and outlined that. So I have no idea, even years later. Um, yeah, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so good to know. <laughs> that is. Yeah, just, yeah, you just I mean, never know. And I was always like, oh, is this going to be confidential? Is this okay? Um, so good to know. Okay. Mm. I think we've already worked out that managing the supervisory relationship is really hard. There's a lot of elements that make it quite difficult. The inherent power imbalance, as well as supervisors wanting to improve your professional competence, but then also making sure that you're competent for the profession and they often come into conflict. So let's have a look at some difficult situations that listeners have brought up to me by email. And this is a, a lot of what if situations, like what if this happens? Are you ready to go through them? Sure. Okay. Number one, what do you do if you have a disagreement with your supervisor on a professional issue? Like, for example, a different way of handling things and neither are incorrect. They're just a difference in style. How do you actually handle a disagreement with your supervisor? Yeah, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That um, so many people seem to have issues in, in supervision, which is sad. And we know from literature that most supervisees won't actually raise issues with no. their supervisor when they feel uncomfortable because of those fears of reprisal or uh, breaches in the relationship, poor evaluation, all of those things. So I, it's going to sound like a cop-out, but I think it comes back to having a contract at the start, which we can talk more about for sure, and having that clear um, feedback process in place from the very start, if you can. So making sure that you feel that you can raise things with your supervisor, or maybe you just test it out to start with. If I give them a bit of feedback, how do they respond? Or if I'm challenging something in the room with them, how do they respond? If they are if those disagreements are continuing, um, I know it's not always it's not always that easy. And I'm a really bad example because when I had the most recent issue with my supervisor, I just basically went on mat leave and never went back. Okay. I didn't I didn't really address them. I just I, I mean, just ran away. That is a legit option. And I know we talked about this off air, but sometimes it is knowing when to walk away. And sometimes maybe that person wouldn't have been receptive to feedback. So this specific situation would be that if there is a fit feedback process and your supervisor is receptive to that feedback and is willing to examine their own position and potentially shift it, then you could bring it up with them. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I mean, that's the perfect, perfect example. If you can do that. And like we said earlier, that's going to be a, a great learning experience of how to manage differences or, or conflict. Because you know, of course, there's going to be differences and issues in supervision. You know, there's going to be personality issues, there's going to be philosophical clashes, there's going to be inexperience or different levels of experience, there's going to be, you know, potentially conduct issues that have to get spoken about, or even mandatory supervision, you know, without pro mandating supervision, there's going to, there's going to be issues. Um, but if you can, if you can set up something from the very start, that means that you can 
discuss these things in a healthy manner, great. But a lot of the time, that's that's not the case, though, is it, for people? No, it's not. Um, I've only brought it up once when I had a disagreement with my supervisor on something that I felt like was worth it. And the exact response I got was, I don't have to justify myself to you. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that's not ideal. No, it's not ideal. It, it didn't bode well for our supervisory relationship. We Did ended... you stop supervision? Yes, yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was the real bad one. Oh, no, that's no good. But, you know, it, again, it's it's difficult, isn't it, when you've got, you've signed all your paperwork with APRA, you've got your principal supervision, supervisors d- detailed, you've got to go through that whole process of maybe finding a different job, maybe yeah. finding a different supervisor. Mm. It's not always that easy to just walk away from it. But sometimes I think you're right, you have to just bite the bullet and decide, you know what, this is, it's not okay to be belittled, bullied you know, criticized like that. That's, it's, that's not okay. Yeah. So maybe the answer to this question, I don't think it's a cop out, but it's that it's unique to every circumstance. And I think a lot of the answers with this, these questions will be seek consultation with someone else as well to make sure that they know your specific situation. Would you say that's right? Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Mm. Um, so be like, is this normal? How would you handle this? Knowing my situation, do you think it's possible to bring up this feedback or not? Yeah, definitely. That would be good. And, that you know, peer consultation, peer supervision is usually a great place to have those conversations. Yeah, because I think it's like, what do you do if you have a disagreement with a supervisor? But I would say it's inevitable that you are going to have different perspectives on things with your supervisor. And it's really important that you're able to state like, oh, I'm thinking this, or I'm not quite understanding your perspective and that they can help you understand. I would say it's just a basic for supervision. What do you think? I would I would go one step further and say, not only is it inevitable, but it's actually really helpful. Yeah. It, it can be, it's great because you want to be able to be in therapy with clients who can say, no, that's not quite how it is. Oh, I don't understand that. No, I don't agree. And you want to be able to have had those experiences where you've had, you've managed that well, or it's been um, supported and held in a, in a safe way. So I think, yes, it's inevitable, but also if it's, if it's a good relationship that's been set up well from the start, it's actually a really great process to go through. Mm, No, I agree. And with my current supervisor, I absolutely feel like I wouldn't even say I disagree with her. I really just bring up differences and I'm like, what do I say to her? I say things like, oh, what do you think about this? I get what you're saying with this, but what about this? Or I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think? Okay, if I do that, then that would lead to this. And I'm not quite sure about that. So those are the kinds of disagreements. I And I say that in air quotes, disagreements that I bring up my supervisor where I'm curious and asking. And I would, mm-hmm. I would say to anybody who's listening, like, try and do those things if you do feel safe. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't call it disagreements, but just yeah. Uh, yeah, difference of opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Are we comfortable moving on to the second one? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well done. That was a good, oh, that was a good one. Gosh, it's a whirlwind, isn't it? Okay. Let's have a look at this one that was brought up to me by a listener. And the preface to this was, I think my supervisor hates me. They're not teaching me what they're supposed to teach me. For example, treatment planning. So I have no idea what to do with treatment planning because they are not guiding me at all. What do you do in that situation where your supervisor is just not teaching you anything? Oh, it's, I mean, I feel so sad for this person as well. That sounds really horrible, doesn't it? I think my supervisor hates me. Yeah. Oh, so I'm just going to rewind a little bit and I'm just going to mention that the, you know, the APS and the um, psych board both stipulate that you need to gain informed consent before you begin supervision. And I don't know how many people would know or appreciate that. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> because you talked about, you know, confidentiality. Yeah. And for me, I give I give everybody I'm going to supervise a contract and we go through it in our first proper session together. And that contract would have you know, sometimes it's different because it's got university requirements on there and stuff like that. But the most important part on there to me is um, the informed consent and confidentiality. But it's really about what are we going to do when, not if, what are we going to do when we have a therapeutic rupture? Mm. How are we going to resolve that? What mechanisms are in place to allow us to have those discussions? And so 
that might come as a bit of a shock to some people who are being supervised or have been supervised for a while because you might have a, a university contract, let's just say, but that's usually things like, you know, where's the first aid cabinet and what are you going to do if, you know, an emergency happens or something? It's got nothing to do with the therapeutic relationship in, in the supervision. So I would come back to if you don't already have a contract, I would really um, recommend that you go back and try and have that discussion with your supervisor, even now, even if it's, you know, a year down the track about, hey, can we have this put in place? Or can we think about these things that might arise for us? Or, you know, there's there's been certain things that I've not been all that happy with, or I've really loved these bits. Can we do more of that? Mm. And so if you're not getting what you need from your supervisor, I would sort of in the first instance, they maybe you can ask for a bit of a review of either that contract or a bit of a review through maybe your, the competencies that you've got, or um, maybe you've got your own list that you can take around, hey, look, these are the things that I really came to supervision for. Uh, and maybe these things are great, but can we focus more on this thing? Because I feel like I'm I'm missing out a bit on this, this these skills, this training. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe your supervisor will say, well, I'm not probably the best person for that, but maybe you could go see this other person and they can help you with that. Who knows? Yeah. yeah no, I really like that. It's it's a non-confrontational way of putting it to, I think, a supervisor saying that, for example, with the treatment planning, um, like, hey, I think I could use more assistance with the treatment planning. Can we do that in our next session? Yeah. And that's not threatening, is it? Because yeah. that's saying I need help with this. It's not yeah. saying you're not teaching me this. Mm. Um, and that might not be too activating for some supervisors. Yeah, and with the re- looking at a contract or a listener could say like, hey, I was just reading some things about supervision and I really value our supervisor relationship and I thought it could be a good idea just to review how we're going to discuss conflicts. Um, I want to make sure we're well prepared in the future. Do you think that could be too that's, activating or is that okay? No, that's lovely as well. And okay. again, it's, it's, again, it's, it's sort of a therapy technique, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah, it is, yeah. I value this relationship yeah. and I really want to keep this relationship. So here's some stuff that might help us to make sure we don't have a rupture down the, down the track. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners do try that, but also if you try those things and then they, maybe you get some pushback, like I'm not, I don't know if a supervisor would be like, I'm not teaching you treatment planning as someone else directly, (laughs) but let's say it happens, go seek further consultation because that's not a good response, right? No, it's not a good response. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm sure it happens to some people. And and thank you, listener, for this question. I hope it's better. I did send them a nice email back being like, I'm sorry, you think your supervisor hates you? Okay, let's, oh, let's go to the next one because you might have, it sounds like you've got personal experience with this question, Catherine, which is what if you elicit an insecurity in your supervisor and they start bullying or belittling you? Um, so you gave us the example where you had written a book in the area and it sounds like your supervisor, that might have elicited some defensiveness in them. Um, so perhaps you can speak to us from the personal experience of how you navigated that, but also what you've learned as a supervisor yourself. Sorry, that was a big question. Mm. I mean, I think it's only with hindsight and reflection that I was able to really understand what was going on in the room. But again, I think it's it's just understanding the sort of transference that's that's going on and it's understanding what's you versus what's the other person so that maybe that can shield you a little bit from some of it recognizing you know what actually this is not this is not me this is them um but again you know it's it's really tough given those power imbalances and it's 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 not okay it's really shocking to hear that people are being treated like that in supervision it's not it's not okay it's it's ultimately bullying and you know it's making people's lives really miserable it's a big chunk of their working life spent in horrible supervision so yeah. um i mean hopefully again the the psych board and and um aps don't necessarily say don't have your supervisor as your line manager, but they strongly recommend you don't have the same person doing both. So hopefully your supervisor is not also your line manager. And so hopefully you've got somebody slightly removed from that dynamic who you can speak to about those issues. But, you know, ultimately, if you've raised it with your supervisor or you've raised it with a line manager and it's not getting resolved, it it might be that you have to bite the bullet and look at another role or another supervisor, which I know is not it's not as straightforward as that. But I'm sure, you know, I, I've I've certainly been on the 
I've been a supervisor for people who've had these experiences and have kind of snuck, wanted to sneak out of supervision with somebody, feared rebuttal, yeah, but have just shifted to that to a primary, a different primary supervisor, which is hard because I think you've got to get the original supervisor to sign off on it too. Yeah, that's it's really problematic, so isn't it? Yeah, mm. but I I like what you're saying because what it, what I'm hearing is that let's say you're listening in security and your supervisor, it is possible that you could both work on it, but that only works if the other person is willing to examine their own stuff and then commit to a different sort of relationship with you. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it's ultimately it, isn't it? It's hard when, yeah, we keep I keep saying power imbalance, but when they've got that yeah. power over you, it's it's um can be misused sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, from the perspective of a supervisee, when, when I was a provisional psychologist, I really thought my supervisor, I wouldn't say I idealized them, but I just thought like, here's a safe space where my supervisor is going to take care of me. They've got all their shit together. They know exactly what pushes their buttons and I will be okay. And it was only when I myself elicited these negative reactions in them that I was like, my world was shattered. And I was like, oh, okay. They're just human as well. Um, and it was really, it was really difficult, but I think that's probably a shared experience with a lot of other trainees. We hope that our supervisors will know their stuff, but sometimes perhaps we are their first supervisees and they don't actually know what's going to, um, push their buttons. That's a double whammy for you, wasn't it? Yeah. Your supervisor came crushing, came tumbling down off their pedestal yeah. Yeah, and it totally. was horrible for you. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's it's really but I think difficult. that's okay. Yeah. It's okay if the supervisor can acknowledge that they're human yeah. and fallible mm. and they can put their hand up and say, Yeah, shit, sorry, I messed that up. Let's yeah. d- let's redo. I'm really sorry. And what can we take from that? It's when they're completely oblivious or yeah, unaffected by it that it's it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually uh reading an article, a research article that looked at humility in the supervisor relationship among medical um supervisees and supervisors. And they found that there was a positive relationship between supervisor humility and supervisee satisfaction. Yeah, who would have thought? Um, but it, it does seem like being able to be like, sorry, that's my stuff and being like, how can we do this? It seems really helpful rather than pretending that they are infallible humans. Yeah, totally. And look, it, it, it is it is important for the supervisor. The supervisor is the one there with the privilege to yeah. be supporting people and they have a lot of, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Absolutely. Or the way around it goes, you know, you've got responsibility to protect people, to look after them and yeah. to make sure that they're okay. At the same time, the supervisees also need to take some responsibility for their stuff too. And I've you know, you, you're supervising sometimes early career um, professionals. And so I get it, but a supervisor hopefully will be able to just titrate in and out of, of, you know, what can this supervisee tolerate me challenging them on or me giving them feedback on and that can just be developed over time. So it might not be that you start off and you, you're having these amazing in-depth soul-bearing discussions about transference, counter-transference and everything that's going on. Mm. But, you know, the supervisees sometimes will find that difficult to, to tolerate as well, um, especially if they've had hideous experiences previously. So it's part of it's on the supervisee as well of just, you know, knowing their own stuff and being at being open and um, curious and non-judgmental as well. But um, it, yeah, it, it, I certainly think it's the supervisor's role to make sure that that's a safe place for them to be able to do that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'd also say that the supervisor could really assist by modeling that behavior as well, because as a supervisee, I know early in my career, I didn't know whether I could show some of those vulnerabilities or could share some of those emotions. I thought I had to be all kept together as well. Um, and it was only through a supervisor modeling that to me that I was like, oh, thank goodness, we can actually um, look behind the curtain and reveal like this was hard for me or this elicited some insecurity in me. So it's really hard. Yeah, I can relate to that too. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. And absolutely. I think when our, when our supervisors can model that to us, it's great. Yeah. It's really helpful. Mm. Mm. So in answer to the question, what if you elicit an insecurity <gasps> in your supervisor and they start bullying you or blittering you? I think what we've got is that, okay, I think we'll go back to seek consultation about your specific situation. See if you can uh, 
jigsaw way of bringing it up with your supervisor. If they are willing to examine the relationship, then go from there. If they're not willing to examine what they are doing, then you might need to consider alternative arrangements. Yeah, nicely summed up. Cool. Okay. This one I think is a common one actually, sadly. Um, But what if your supervisor has no interest in supervising you? Like they took you on as a student, as a favor to a placement coordinator, and they have zero interest. So you're thrown in the deep end and you have no idea what to do because they're not helping you. Oh gosh, that sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It really sucks. It's not your fault at all. Um, What would I do in that situation? I mean, I think again, it's trying to communicate that as best you can and trying to, um, you know, in um, podcasts and stuff that I listen to about job crafting. I don't know if you heard, you've heard that no, term. I you know, if you really hate your job and and there's really no way out, you know, you really need the job and there's no other jobs. How can you craft the job into being at least partly what you would like so what are the bits that you do enjoy what are the things that at least are in line with your values and how can you make it a bit more tolerable so maybe there's a bit of crafting a bit of compromise a bit of middle ground that you can do well maybe it's at least getting your requirements met for your hours of supervision or maybe it's meeting some competencies but maybe you also need to look at I mean, if that's being paid for by their organization, then maybe that allows you to go and seek external supervision elsewhere. Maybe there's peer supervision that would fulfill needs for you. Maybe it's just sort of doing it, putting up with it whilst you're there just to get through. Mm. Um, if, if you've spoken to people and really there's no way to change supervisor or get, get them invested in that, um, it's a really tough one. Yeah, if so, if there's no way to change that situation, they're not going to take an interest in you. Let's say you've complained to your placement coordinator or at least told them the issues, placement coordinators had a chat with the supervisor and they're still not interested. It sounds like you can try and identify what needs you have and try and get them met elsewhere. Is that right? Yeah, I would. I would think. Yeah, that's what probably what I'd think to do. Yeah. Um. Yeah, trying to do things um externally probably through yeah. supervision or or maybe um sometimes you see people who are trying to get through their own accreditation for things like EMDR or schema and they're asking for supervisors supervisees. So sometimes you can get free or cheap supervision through people who are training. So that might be an option. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes our workplaces as well, like if you're on a placement, sometimes your supervisor doesn't have an interest, but I've noticed sometimes other employees, they take a bit of pity on the students. So they can be, if they're nice people, you can ask them stuff. Um, But for listeners, just be relentless in asking questions. Just don't sit there and be like, drowning in anxiety, um, ask other people questions so that you can get your needs met. Yeah. And again, it's not you, it's them. Yeah. So you can keep on pestering and keep on and keep on knowing that it's you, you need to get these needs met. It's pretty important. Um, and just keep, keep harassing them. Yeah. And I would say lean into the student, um, role as well. Be like, Hey, I'm a student. I don't know anything. Like teach me, like, tell me, I don't know what to do. Um, so I would recommend listeners lean into that even if they are not getting their needs met by a supervisor, be like, I student, like, I don't know what to do. That's a good tip. Yeah. And I think if you, if you are affiliated to a university or you're on placement, keep complaining. Yeah. Because yes, there's a shortage of supervisors and placements, but if, if enough complaints go in, they'll stop using those people, um, and stop sending students to those placements. I agree. Yeah. So you can create some systemic change there and it, it can really help students to know that their their complaints aren't, even if they aren't fixing it for themselves, that hopefully in the future that other people don't have to go through similar things. That can be quite nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. And I think last one, we touched on this briefly, but we've got, what if your supervisor is also your manager in the workplace and you have issues in the workplace? What do you do then? Oh, this is the worst, isn't yeah. it? It's the worst. So again, you know, I come back to those APS guidelines around um, supervising psychologists. They say, try not to be a line manager. But if you are a line manager as well, you need to make sure that you are attending to and you're discussing with your supervisees the implications of those multiple roles, the likely impact on the supervision process, methods that you're going to use for resolving those conflicts. And so, again, I would hope that that can get looked at at the start of supervision and those boundaries made really clear. So, for example, 
um, there might be a very separate time for supervision and a separate time for line management. So that it's, it, you know, over here we can just discuss KPIs and, and line management issues, but that doesn't come into supervision because, again, that's that's a really yuck dynamic. So maybe there can be things like that that are done to just increase the boundaries a little bit more, just suggesting, hey, you know, what can we make sure we delineate between what are our supervision roles and responsibilities versus our line management ones and how can we keep them separate at least as a start? Yeah, I agree. It needs to be made explicit because it these things overlap a lot. And if you've got issues with the workplace, it, you might feel really afraid to bring it up in supervision and that really affects the safe space that supervision is supposed to be. It's really not ideal at all. I mean, if you can, again, try and negotiate um, different people for your line management and your supervision, because it's, I mean, I don't think any good can come of that ever, to be honest. No, yeah, I definitely tried to keep it separate. There was an offer at my workplace that when I was a trainee psychologist that we could get supervision with the CEO of the organization and it would be for free. (laughs) And I declined that. I was like, no way am I doing that. And I got external supervision, but I know that many other of my peers, they actually did get supervision because it was free. It was included. Mm. Um, And the only reason I said no and had that burden, that financial burden was because I was like, no, this is going to lead to issues. But there are arrangements like that. So for example, I know that there are practices which say that it's a poor business decision for me to pay for external supervision when I can do it myself. Um, So they actually do push for the manager also being the supervisor. Um, And what I'm hearing from you, Catherine, is that if that is the case, then it needs to be explicit what the boundaries are between these two roles. Is that right? Absolutely. And it might fall on you. I know know it's a burden, but it might fall on you as the supervisee to say, oh, hey, look, I think we're slipping into line management mode here. Can we just hold on to that until maybe at the very end or can we come back to that another time and just to keep the boundaries in place if your supervisor is not doing that? Yeah, it's and it's like as well, they have to be receptive to that. I've had, uh, I tend to like being a bit structured, but I've had supervisors push back on me for that structure and they want to be more easy breezy, which is fine and I have compromised. Um, but it, I guess it just depends on your individual circumstances, right? I think it does because I do have somebody who is, I mean, ultimately now a business partner with me, but I, I offer them clinical supervision as well as, you know, sort of business consultation, line management stuff. And with this person, we've got such a good relationship that we can really move in and out of those roles very carefree and we can raise things very freely with one another. But that's the only person I do it with, and it's it's sort of um, morphed into that over time because of the because of our relationship. Whereas, especially with early career or people who are going through training, um, I'm very careful to keep that keep that boundary in place. I think that's really too much to ask to put on supervisees, to be honest. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's a beautiful example that you've given us as well, that it sounds like your relationship with this person has developed perhaps over a year, number of years, and this has morphed into that relationship. But with an early career psychologist, if the first supervisory relationship you have with them is both line manager and supervisor, the thing that I can see for early career psychs is for myself, I would be like, oh, this is normal. This is what it's supposed to be like. And you wouldn't know that there actually needs to be a separation um, until you meet other people and you're like, oh, okay, that's not actually normal. Or the reason I'm having more issues is because it's structured like this. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think of an example, which comes up a lot, it's something like a supervisee coming to me and saying how burnt out they're feeling how they're doing five, six sessions a day. It feels like it's getting too much. And as a supervisor, I might be talking to them about self-care, might be talking to them about time off, how they can negotiate decreasing those hours. Or, But if I'm also a line manager, well, my line management hat is, <laughs> you need to be doing more sessions. Yeah. Why are you not hitting your seven sessions a day target? Yeah. I need you to earn money, blah, blah, blah. So those two things are too conflictual for most people to be able to hold them in the room yeah. and still offer this person support. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I'm just imagining that. Like, let's say you're going back for trainer and it's like, you definitely need rest, but also money. Rest, but more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just feel like, I'm so bonkers. Like, I just don't know what to take away from this. Okay, I'll rest for two seconds and then I'll earn more money and do more sessions. Yeah, it's, I mean, it would be very difficult to, to maintain a boundary there, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <sighs> Okay, so we've got that answered. Well, I feel like I feel a little bit depressed going through these questions. How about you? I think we're just touching on the what can go wrong, aren't we? Yes, and we are. what goes wrong when it really goes wrong. Because yeah, it, like, it can be so awful yeah, when it, it can does be. go wrong. Yeah. Um, so maybe like we need to be a bit, I don't want to be like, you know, uh, toxic positivity, like, <laughs> you know, everything is great and rainbows when it's not. Like these things do happen. They do happen because I've received these emails from listeners. And I've seen it in Facebook groups. I've seen it in my peers and my colleagues. And these things do happen. Um, But I think my overall conclusion would be if you notice in your gut that you are not happy with your supervisory relationship, seek consultation with someone else. Just be like, I'm not quite sure about this. I'm not sure what's happening, but what do you think of this? And seek it from somebody you trust, probably someone who is senior as well. In my early career, I did try and do it with peers, but they only know what they know as well. So actually seeking somebody who's a bit senior and just contacting a senior psychologist and but just being like, hey, can I check this out with you? I don't think there's any harm with that. And I think it could be helpful. No, that's great. And and from my experience, there's always people on the forums, on Facebook and whatnot, who are willing to give advice and support if you ask those questions. So don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, no, likewise. Yeah, I've asked a question. I remember once I had a, a person who, well, a client who came to me and they told me about a situation. I was really unsure. I was like, is this normal? And then I asked the Facebook group and they're like, no, that's not normal. That's bad. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, it can be a really helpful resource. Yeah. And what would be your takeaway from this from a supervisor perspective, Catherine? Like, I'm sure you've had supervisees come to you with some of these situations like that they've talked about with other supervisors. Is there anything that you wish that they would know about these situations? Well, I mean, think of it. I think of it like, think of your clients going into therapy. Would you expect your clients to go in and sit through this kind of treatment in therapy? Would you expect them to be criticized, belittled, um, ignored, made to feel incompetent? No, you, you, you wouldn't go back to therapy if that was your experience. And it's the same for supervision. I know there's boundaries around it that make that difficult sometimes to leave. But it shouldn't feel it shouldn't feel like an unsafe space. Absolutely mm. not. No, that's that's really important. Thank you. Yeah, it's like ultimately supervision should be a safe space where I can be vulnerable and develop my professional competencies because we are all learning. And when you're an early career psychologist, like you're you're really trying hard to learn a complex skill set of being a therapist as well as I guess an ethical practitioner as well. And in some difficult situations like navigating NDIS or Medicare or government-based services. And we really need that safe space to be able to do that. It shouldn't feel like shit. It shouldn't feel like punishment. No, it shouldn't. And from my experience, all the best aha moments I've had in supervision have come from me being able to be vulnerable in a moment to say, I messed this up or this client really pissed me off or talk about something emotional that had come up for me. And then my supervisor makes sense of it with me and, and develop. So I think you can't have those learning moments if you're not able to be vulnerable and, and courageous. I agree. I think we'll leave it there. What do you think, that, Catherine? Yeah, I think so. I think hopefully hopefully people feel more confident now to, to get a contract together or to at least have those conversations initially about how they're going to manage conflict. And the takeaway really, I think, is communication with with um, supervisors, isn't it? Yeah, let's talk about just conflict. So where can listeners go? Like when we say, okay, get a contract together, listeners, like is there any assistance that people can have? Should they ask on the Facebook or like are they like contract templates or? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I've done some really amazing training with um, Daph Hewson. I don't think she's around anymore, but her company still runs reflective practice supervision. Okay. And I know that they have um, some pretty good resources. So may, I'll have a look and see if I can find the contract template that I would use of hers. Because again, it, it covers that sort of, um, you know, how do we resolve conflict element, which I think is important. But the guidelines for supervising are also on the um, on the APS, if you've yep. got access to that, and the um, psych board. 
that talk about, you know, yeah, the guidelines of how supervision should be facilitated. So maybe have a look at those as well and make sure that um, those sorts of things are being covered or talked about, or at least, um, you know, you feel safe with those things in supervision, I think. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. And I'll link to that as much as I can. Um, so I've got access. It's a shame that like, like this is a huge problem that like the supervisory guidelines aren't actually public and <laughs> I'm an APS member. Like how bad is that? Um, I'm sure there's a way we can cut and paste them. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's the supervisory guidelines and I will try and link to the psychology board because that is public. Um, but there are lots of other guidelines as well. And if you don't have a supervision contract, ask your supervisor or ask your peers if they've used one and try and get it from them. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Listeners, if you want to get in touch with Catherine, Catherine, where can they find you? Because you offer supervision as well as business consultation. Is that right? I do. Um, probably the easiest place is on our website, um, Socoris. So it's www.socoris.com.au. Um, but I'm on LinkedIn and that's often a good place to just um, drop me a message as well. Great. I will link to those in the show notes. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Catherine, for coming on. I think we all benefited from hearing from your supervisory experiences, but also your supervisee when you were in supervisee experiences. So thank you so much for your expertise. No, thank you. I hope everybody's not depressed now. Yeah, no, no, everybody, it's got to be okay. We'll support each other. But these are difficulties, but things can be okay. And like, Yeah, as much as the negative supervisory experiences I've had, I have some really good supervision experiences now. um, And it's wonderful when you can actually get those, right? So do I. Yes, I I love my supervisor. Yeah, me too. Yeah, no, they're fantastic. It can be really great. Yeah, and it's just trying out different ones as well. Like my favorite ones so far have been a psychoanalytic supervisor and now I'm with my schema supervisor and I love them both. Yeah, try out a few as well. Don't be afraid to just dip in and out of supervision as well with different people. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, again. And that's a wrap. And thanks so much, listeners, for listening and catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Mental Work, the podcast for early career psychologists. If there's someone you know who might love this show, let them know about it. It's the best way to get the podcast into new listeners' ears and I'd be so grateful for it. Thanks for listening. Have a good one and see you next time. 